Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, what does it mean to be a modern warrior? First off, the elephant in the room. Warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful. They seek excellence and have learnt to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience, and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. Fortune favors the brave, and you're never given more than you can handle. This, then, is the Warrior You podcast. All call signs. Ready, ready, ready. Let's roll! Uh, Greg Layton, where does today's podcast find you? Well, mate, I'm on uh, in Maroochydore on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, our home base here and our office as well. Okay, Trent, I think we need to start doing these like face-to-face, mate. Get up on a plane to Maroochydore. <laughs> I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg, you're the founder of um, Chief Maker. Can you tell us a little bit about, about what that is? Yeah, sure, Bram. Look, Chief Maker was born out of, um, like I'm an executive coach and I've been working in that field for about 15 years now. And Chief Maker was born out of watching the struggle of people sort of leaving the middle managing space and converting into C-suite executives and the real challenge they face with leaving technical roles and making that transition to top roles. The, the secondary thing is that, so there's a real challenge for individuals. And I said, I was meeting a lot of people who are really battling with the, the politics and the, 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 the overwhelm of those roles or just, or even not being recognized for their effort. Just, you know, it's really heartbreaking for a lot of them because they, they spend a lot of time trying to do their very best job, but they just weren't succeeding. The secondary element of it was I, I was meeting a lot of C-suite executives and CEOs who were really struggling with the quality of middle management performance. Right, because if you're running a transformation, and most of the work I do is within organisations that are going out of generally a bit of trouble into into growth phase, um, you really need your middle management tiers to be firing. And for a lot of occasions, for whatever reason, they weren't, and they just weren't getting the response they wanted. So Chief Maker is, is, was born to help organisations make that transition, go through transformation, and it helps individuals fire as much as teams. Hey, Greg... Um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned that uh, the, the C-suite leaders are struggling with middle managers, and because you know sometimes they don't fire. What what were the reasons they were saying behind why middle managers don't fire? I think it's a great question, Trent, because the reasons that they would say were pretty unfounded a lot of the time. 
So the C-suite guys say, oh, they've gone as far as they can or, you know, they're not a people person or they're too technical. They come up with all reasons without any real underlying science behind why someone is performing or not. And when I sat down and did a proper analysis, and we, we might use a model like the inflow model, um, which provides a little bit of a, an insight into why someone might be performing in their role or not. And so if you just take, for example, five kilos of performance, technical performance, tactical or process, social performance, physical performance, and mental performance, what, what we found pretty quickly is that most people weren't performing because one of those was seriously lacking. And generally, it was not tactical. It was because procedurally, they didn't know how to t- go about a more senior role, the, the, the work of the role, the kind of meetings they should be running, how to bring a team together. They weren't mentally in the right game. They were still mentally playing day-to-day job as opposed to looking further out into the future and asking themselves, what's the, what's, what have I got to do to get this team to another level six months, 12 months from now? Yeah. Mm. So, so, Trent, they were making the wrong, the wrong assumptions as to why people were failing. Yeah, right. So many facets there of why someone can fail as well. And I, I particularly liked, you know, the, the fa- what are the, what were the five again, Greg? Well, they're the generally technical, tactical, physical, mental, and social. Yeah. And so the, what I've found with the clients that Trent and I work with, with, with hindsight, and we only focus on, on leadership and resilience, mm. is that people tend to underplay the importance of sleep. Mm. And, and so it seems to us that a lot of people are walking around society fatigued and then they're trying to make decisions that are you know corporate leadership decisions around budgets and people and they're not really in the right space to even work out if they want milk in their coffee or not (laughs) particularly after last year bram i reckon there'd be a few people who would be in that situation but you know we all of us have had experience in some pretty high performing environments and there's one I'll talk about a high-performance life cycle that we teach mm. both teams and individuals. Mm. And that life cycle goes like this. You prepare for something, then you perform it, then you recover, then you review. Oh, I like it. Prepare, perform, recover, review, right? Mm. We call it P2R2. It's one of our core frameworks for excellence. Now, the key thing there is that in business, we're not too bad at prepare and perform. We are rubbish, absolutely rubbish at recover and review. Yeah. Right? And what do we know if you, if you miss recovery, what happens? you burn out and you're not in the right headspace to make good decisions. Yeah. And if you miss review, you're still in your growth. I love, right, what so you, I love what you've done with the business there too, P2R2. You've just got all the Star Wars fans in the world sort of <laughs> gravitated towards your business. So I think that's a, that's a strike oh, of marketing genius just there. Oh, mate. And um, you wouldn't believe how much I quote Yoda in my work, honestly. Uh, <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit, Greg, about about your background, mate. So I think our guests would would like to to hear about that. And um, I know I'm, you know, fascinated with some of the things that you've been able to do yourself and perform yourself in that high, sort of high end of mastery. Yeah, sure, mate. So I mean, I started out in in the business world, and I, I ended up in a role um, leading projects for the Queensland government, and I, I was leading pretty seriously sized teams and major works across all of Queensland. And I found pretty quickly I was out of my depth, like my, my, my ability to lead the group and the entire group, everyone was older than me by at least five to 10 years. And, and I just felt like I didn't have the skills to deal with it. Um, And around about that time, a good mate of mine uh, gave me one of the Tony Robbins books, not one of the two big ones, but he's got a small book. And I read that and went, there's something in this. It's, it's quite fascinating. So I, I sort of read a bit more about Tony and I thought there was a, there was a quote 
I think it's by Marcus Aurelius, and he said, I'm indebted to my uncle for teaching me to always learn direct from the masters. Mm. And so I thought, well, I've got two options here. I can go and learn directly from Tony and get in his world, or I can go to the guy that taught Tony. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I went to the guy behind the guy yeah. and and spent months and, you know, really actually over, over a period of several years learning a lot of the stuff that Tony learned at Hotfordwood Psychology and Neurolinguistics direct from the guy that founded the whole field. Mm. So I, I've, I've really mastered a lot of that field. And that gave me an, an, an insight into high-performance psychology. And part of that for me was like, okay, now I get it academically. I've got to test myself. So that's when I started doing ultra marathons and ran across the Gobi Desert in China and Atacama in uh, Chile. Amazing. And I, then I went and lived with the Shaolin monks in uh, China and studied Kung Fu for three months in this remote um, mountain sort of retreat. And the whole idea about that was to apply. It was actually a project for the courses that I was doing. Mm. And the whole idea was how could I model and learn those skills faster than any other athlete in the place mm. under intense pressure. And, it, and, and they worked. Like I was learning at a really, really fast rate of knots compared to others. Mm. It's, it's not, an, it's not a uh, trail that hasn't been walked by a few people. Uh, it's, interest, it's interesting. I like it. And there's... Um, who am I thinking of? Four-hour work week. Tim Ferriss. Tim, Tim Ferriss, Ferriss yeah. did something similar, didn't he? Where he immersed himself in hmm. in the art of learning. Actually, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So look, Tim is also a linguist, right? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so his, his study, I think, was at um, somewhere in California. I think. Yeah, yeah. and like a, and like one. a college level yeah. wrestler too, like a legitimate. Yes, athlete. he was. Yeah, yeah. and um, well, I think it holds a world record for um, I think like ballroom dancing and a yeah. couple of things. So I've I've watched and looked at a lot of Tim's work. It's very clear he's had some training and some of the some of the work I've been trained in. He's added on that by working with other guys. Yeah. Um, but just as an example, as people will say, well, how do you model and learn something fast? So. If you, if you were to work with a coach and I would say, look, we're going to teach you how to um, kick a ball or something, right? Mm. Uh, or do a, maybe they're going to teach you how to do a roundhouse kick. You would stand back, they would demonstrate, and you would attempt to copy, right? When you learn how to actually model someone, what you do is you stand behind them and with open peripheral vision see the whole person's body moving at once. You see the feet moving in relation to the hips and the arms and the hands and the head position. And then you completely embody them. That is, you almost micro-muscle move exactly as they would move. And you're picking up in within your own muscles and your own DNA exactly what they're doing. Mm. So when you kick, not only do you perform the kick, but you kick it like they kick it, mm. yeah. their own style, right? Mm. It's like when you see kids, they see their favorite footy player on TV, you see them try and mimic them. They're fully embodying them, right, or impersonating them. And mm. that's how you learn skills far. Oh, it's what one way of learning skills faster than someone else. If you can fully impersonate and embody the person that's teaching you, you'll learn twice as fast as your teammates. Yeah. This reminds me of our conversation last week with Dave Alred, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested to hear a little bit more about your experience with the Shaolin monks and and the Kung Fu training that you did. What, What did you... Was there something other than the Kung Fu itself that you took away from that experience that shaped your life and, and what you believe in now? Sure. I'll tell you a bit of a story if you like. So when you go in the Shaolin school, you don't just do Kung Fu because that would be crazy to do that all day. We do. We did um, 
meditation. We did power stretching, conditioning. We did um, kickboxing. Uh, we did tai chi. We did qigong. So the whole day is just back to back different, um, a whole range of different um, activities, and you realise they're actually teaching you technically, tactically, physically, mentally, socially how to do this particular skill. It's not just kung fu, right? They realise that all the other elements are critical. But one of the things I learned was that there was a guy in my troop um, who was learning how to break a brick over his head. And so, Dave, when I got there, about a week after I got there, they said to him, um, you're about to go through this process, a particular program that's going to go for about eight weeks where you learn how to break a brick on your head. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool to watch. I hope he survives, you know. <laughs> if not, it'll be a story. And, uh, and anyway, so the first thing I noticed they did is they started, so they, we all had shaved heads, right? So you imagine we're all bald. And so what they did is they got him to stand on his, like put his legs wide, almost like in a half split position, then hands behind his back. And then he had to put his head on the ground. Mm. So he's almost got head and his butt's up in the air, if you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So what he's got is all this pressure, mm. right, on the top of his skull. Now that did two things, right? The first is it started to toughen up the skin on top of his head, just like if you play guitar, you get sort of calloused fingers, mm. right? The second thing it started like strengthening up his neck muscles to cop the blow of a brick over his head. And I thought that's just sort of pure genius, like uh, amazing how they worked that out. I mean, the third there thing is it made him brain damaged. Which <laughs> he's, he's still recovering from, right? <laughs> anyway, so so over this period of time, I watched them do all sorts of weird and wonderful exercises like that. Then after a period of time, I saw them um, uh, get a brittle brick, so a brick that was actually quite, you know, not well structured, and they break it over his head. And just to get him used to it, right? He's sitting in a warrior pose, like, you know, he, legs crossed, um, arms out, really strong through the midriff, really powerful through there in a Qigong meditative state. So he's zoned out and they drop a, a small brick on his head. You know, this goes on over time, over time, over weeks and weeks. Um, I see the bricks get stronger and stronger as we go. So he's building capability and capacity and confidence that this will work because the first time he does it properly is in front of about 2,000 people. <gasps> No. Oh wow! No shit. Yeah. So we're at, we're at a giant. We're at a, a demonstration where people from our school are uh, doing a show in front of an audience of all the locals in remote China. And so there's two thousand people there, and the whole first sort of forty five minutes of this demonstration, everyone's doing fist forms and all these martial arts demonstrations with weapons behind him, and he's in the front corner, sit there in a completely zoned out meditative state. He is just completely in focus. It's phenomenal. He didn't, didn't move an inch. And then just almost with no fanfare, his master or our master walked over, taps him on the shoulder to give him indication that it's coming. Right, that's it. And then he gets a full house prick. I mean, a proper full And then raise it up above his head and just goes, and it shatters over his head. Like, it's phenomenal. He did not move a muscle. Ever, oh, ever I again. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not a doubter. I'm, I'm assuming it was amazing, but um, yeah, Jesus, yeah. you can't even imagine it, can you, Trent? Uh, in no, eight weeks, no. so so that yeah, that went. But he'd from been there a long zero. time. Zero. He'd been there. He'd been inside that school a very yeah. long time. Right. I, I wouldn't be able to do it in eight weeks. I don't think. Right. That's. But I that's think the lesson for me, to back to your question, Trent, was um, 
There's no such thing as magic. I'd do it in well, six. <laughs> Bram, I reckon, I reckon, if you oh. a brick out in the backyard right now, mate, I reckon I'm you'd up be for honest. this. I'm up for this. Um, I mean, I'm, oh, ju- I'm, ju- I'm just, real, right? I mean, you'd be surprised what I would sacrifice just to be the first person to do it in six weeks. And that would, in, uh, that would be my life. Like, I mean, yeah, we broke the brick, dude's dead. Um, yeah. Oh, it'd be just my luck a brick wouldn't even break. It'd multiply. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I remember seeing something, someone sent me a video a little while ago about, um, and it was a, looked like some sort of martial arts king. And it was one of those fails. Yeah. And it was exactly that. And he got, he literally just, I think they had a um, a bamboo stick that were going to break over his head. <laughs> it just, just knocked him clean what? out and fell off the stage, you know. And I thought, that's pretty funny. You know, <laughs> It's 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 probably hard to look at a sport like, and I mean, I don't want to focus just on fighting, although I love it. Mm. Um, I want to talk about leadership and stuff. But when you look at a sport like MMA, you realise that anyone as good as they can be can be in that arena anyway, can be beaten just by luck mm. or happenstance. Um, generally, the best trained survive, but it seems to be the people with the strongest mm. mindset um, or the ones that don't do stupid things. We've seen a few people go in there who are, um, who are great at karate, but they only get so far. I don't think I've ever seen yeah. a Shalon monk. I mean, obviously, it's a certain mm. arena, it's a certain type of fighting. And if it was real and on the street, you sort of wonder how well you know they would do. I mean, I think they would do particularly well. But yeah, I'm interested to know yeah. from your perspective, from training in that sort of that sort of kung fu, you know, it's more than just fighting, isn't it? It's mindset and yeah, and, yeah. And in fact, I think I think they depending on how good they were, um, the senses, they'd probably get wiped. Mm. Um, so even when we're in there, they, so they teach Kung Fu and they teach street fighting through Chinese kickboxing. So yeah. we were doing both. Right. And then we had to do, we did bouts. Um, like I remember on my last day there, we had to get in the ring and do a fight against another, another student, like just like proper, no holds barred. You're fighting for your life. And, um, we goes, did kickboxing. Goes out kickboxing. the window a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, you go to China's kickboxing because it's so much easier to manage, right? Um, it's just less, less complex and you can just get in less dangerous and vulnerable positions Yeah. for, for an amateur anyway. Like I think the top masters, I think I'd be fascinated to see them in the ring against these guys. Yeah. Uh, be, I mean, really if you look at if – you, if you hear the rumours about how good um, Bruce Lee was you yeah, know, at Kung yeah. Fu, um, the rumours before he was an actor. Um, mm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see – yeah. Anyway, I'm, I know we're just yeah we're mm. comparing apples and oranges in some yeah. ways. Um, yeah, my, my master was this guy who was about 23, and he'd been in there for 18 years, right? And like, I mean, you imagine how powerful he was. He was teaching me just this, um, like, you jump up on one leg, and then you'd you'd sort of kick over with your other leg, like almost like a jumping roundhouse kick. Mm. And um, I was doing this uh, into a. a, a like a, just a punching bag and a, my my fellow troop mate was seeing and I was just kicking him and kicking him and kicking him and he was just blocking it. And my master comes over and just very, very quietly goes, more power, more power. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'll try and kick it harder and I'm just not, like I couldn't get it too much harder. I wasn't, yeah. wasn't mucking around. And then he just sort of pushes me to the side, you know, a bit like this Yoda figure who just... Mm. And then the guy with the bag, you see his eyes just go, no, <laughs> don't you dare get. And then honestly, I've never seen a kick so powerful as this. He right. jumped up and this guy went flying onto the floor when the kick hit him. And I thought, holy wow. shit. Yeah, this right. guy. 
And like, so every now and then we would see our masters do stuff that you would just that yeah. it is not human what they're capable of. It must have been an experience that made you realise that we don't use very much of our brain, you know, and that there's so much oh, more of power. Any of our potential. Yeah, of any of our potential. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely, mate. Yeah. It was it was mind mind expanding, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hey, hey, Greg. Uh, I'd be interested, um, you know, given given that we're you know here to talk about leadership, and we've touched on it a couple of times. Um, I'd be interested to to hear what your principles of leadership are. So, you know, what you think the you know the key key components of leadership are. Sure. So, in my mind, I think well, we sort of run a framework that has five pillars, right? Um, First and foremost, at a, at a higher level, we believe that leaders should boldly lead change and inspire their people as they do it. Right? So we, we think leaders need to drive people from one place to another. No yeah. point saying still, you've got to make change happen, so boldly lead change and inspire your people and leave a legacy. That's sort of our three, do that. And then we maintain, we maintain a bit of a framework, and that says it's mission, people, culture, tools, and execution. So what I see is vision, strategy, roles, metrics, values, like that. Do you understand where you're going, how you're getting there, who's doing what. Like it's that structural elements of the team knows what's going on, right? Mm. Um, pe- people is the right person in the right role with the right development plan and you're looking after them, you're coaching development, right? So that's the, the leader needs to set the direction, coach the people, then they set the culture, right? So that's the standards of behavior, raising the standards, the rituals and traditions, the language and the story across the team that tell you, it's like the language and the stories are the window to the team's soul. What's going on there? Mm. Tools are just, have you got the scoreboards and the metrics so someone can do their job every day and get feedback? Do they have the hardware and the software to do their job? And execution is the meeting rhythm. It's the risk management, the business acumen in the moment in order to make decisions over time. So we say, once you know that as a leader, your job is to go and do these things, then there's five key pillars that you need to work on all the time, right? Mm. And um, that's how that's how we roll. So it's called mission, people, culture, tools, and execution. That's our core framework for for helping leaders make a change. Sounds pretty familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think it's rocket science, right? Like yeah, you know, exactly. I think in the yeah. end. No, I think it's, it's very yeah. it's very similar to yeah. the ADF. Um, right. Okay. At the strategic yeah. level. Yeah. 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 And what would what would be your, you know, your definition? Of leadership, would you have a definition that you like to use to explain leadership to a new leader? I think it's just those three principles, right? Mm. Leaders boldly lead change, inspire their people, and leave a legacy. That's what they do. Right? Well, yeah, that, that's, I think that's um, that's our little catchphrase, and I, I suppose that's probably what I would say. But I think the other thing about leadership is the actual the actions and the the behaviours of a leader change based on their seniority. Mm-hmm. Um, so. If you're a frontline leader, it's a very different job. It's much more of a captain's kind of role as opposed to if you're in middle management, you're probably heading towards being a coach, right? Yeah. And that's a very different role. You've got longer time spans to consider the complexity. The decision-making is very different. The data yeah. is different. The role every day. So I think what, what's important is redefining what the role is based on your level and the hierarchy in the context of the job. Yeah, it's great. I think there's a there's a definite problem at the moment within especially within Australian working culture that we've made management unsexy in in lieu of leadership being the thing that everyone's trying to develop but you know in a lot of cases I think it's up to businesses like ours to remind leaders that you've got to get the management stuff right first before you can then go on and be a visionary and take everyone on a journey. 
Do you mean just sort of getting a house in order and yeah, just and, scheduling yeah. and battle rhythm and just just, your, just personal development yeah. plans and yeah. technical mm. competence. Yeah, mm. yeah, agreed, fellas. Like I, I can't. I think a lot of the time we we're like I remember just just recently met someone who was talking about we're trying to develop the leaders of the future. And I said, well, how about leaders of the now? Like, mm. let's just get like get your house in order, as you say. Just be crystal clear on what the team, team's job doing and where it's going. Get your you've got a battle rhythm. We call it operating rhythm, right? Yeah. Like, what, what's your daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual rhythm of performance and review and preparation for the task in front of you? All yeah. those different things have a different role. Your annual review is different to your quarterly, different to your monthly. And if you don't have all those structural elements in place, like I, I just took away an exec team just recently for a couple of days and they were in a really challenging spot. They've gotten toxic. They were, they were just in a really difficult place. Even though the business was doing it right, they were not as a yeah. team. Yeah. And when we broke it down, we realized that none of that was in place. Mm. They weren't clear on the plan. They didn't have an operating room. They weren't getting away to spend time as a leadership team and getting that glue between them. Mm. No point I mean, talking about aspirational kinds of leadership. Just get the stuff in front of you, right? Yeah. And, and you know, simple things like roles and responsibilities, clear delineation mm. roles and responsibilities. Um, you know, I commonly see uh, teams that just haven't got that squared away. And what does it do if it's not there, Trent? It, it reduces resilience. You know, it reduces yeah. the overall team's resilience. Yeah, that's confusion, and confusion, confusion, and frustration. Right. I yeah. wonder. I wonder if you see what what Trent and I see quite often as well with regards to leaders not having that leadership narrative, you know, not understanding who they are as a leader, what their values are before they stand in mm. front of a group and then try and lead that that group. Yeah. And if you can imagine for a second, and I think if I reflect back on what, what I was experiencing, you know, 15 years ago, I go, well, I wasn't familiar so much with my values. I wasn't aware of my, what we, you know, the principles for leadership. I've got little lines like ownership precedes victory and, and yeah. great chiefs never guess, all these underlying principles that I now use. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. Right? I didn't understand mission, mission people, culture, tools, execution, or, or battle rhythm. I didn't understand any of that. No wonder when I stood up in front of a group, I was lost. <laughs> but I don't know how you, I don't know how you lead without it. So I feel sorry for a lot of leaders yeah. who are having a crack with that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Hey, um, you you were talking about one of your three uh, key principles is leaving a legacy. I'd be interested mm. to, I'd be interested to hear what you think a legacy is. Like, I mean, you can leave a positive and a or a negative legacy, yeah. sure. But absolutely, what, what, yeah. what do you define a leader's legacy to be? Well, I would positively frame it in this space. And, and we use six different elements to legacy, right? So pur- purpose, legacy is purpose. It's how you leave the world a better place. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Face them when you found them. It's beyond what we do business for a lot of the time, right? So, and the six, the six elements are what what is your own legacy for your own life, mm. right? And for your family, the people that you, you go to work for. Mm. What about your peers? What do you do for your peers? And what do you do for the owners of the organization you work for or the, or the people that are stakeholders in it? What do you do for your customers? 
What do you do for the community and what do you do for the environment? So those elements, when, when we look at legacy, we say, okay, well, what are you doing for the people at home? What are you doing for your peers and the other people in the organisation? What about your customers? And what do you guys do anything for the environment? And so if we get this multidimensional view that when you go to work, you can make a much bigger impact than you're probably giving yourself credit for, mm. we can get people starting to go to work with more purpose. Mm. Yeah, I like it. It's, That's it's, interesting. I it like sort that. of sits inside my mm. you know, study around corporate social responsibility as well, not just to the wider community, but to yourself too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know, Trent, can you name the um, CEO of General Electric? No. Can you name one of them ever? No. Okay, Greg, can you? Um, yeah, the, the number one guy was uh, Wal- uh, Walsh, um, the legend. Jack Welch, thank Jack you. Jack Welch. <laughs> so for years I was telling people that the CEO of GE was Jack Welch. Jack Welch. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, he'd been dead for many years. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's long gone, mate. Yeah, <laughs> but it was yeah, a definite yeah. legacy. He broke, he broke a brick on his head. <laughs> <laughs> Put you both on the spot there, but it's definitely a name that I knew Greg would have it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it, that's interesting. Hey, so just I'm fascinated with, 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 obviously, with leadership, but in particular around what makes a, a good leader better than just an, an average leader. And for me, it's probably something in around – you know their their mental uh, acumen. You know their agility, um, being resilient. Do, would you? How would you frame resilience? Or do you do you look for resilience in leaders? Can you build it in leaders when you're working with through the chief the chief maker sort of sort of aspect? Without a doubt, mate. Like so, in my world, if we so we have like four phases of, that we take a team and organisation through. One is fixed when the business is broken or toxic and horrible. Mm. Through reset, where it's sort of not really losing, but it's not winning. You're not making money into the grow phase, where you're starting to make money into we call change the game, where you're becoming a market darling and kicking ass. Now there is, if you've ever worked with organisations or been in a really challenging environment where you're getting your ass kicked, and then you try to turn up every day and it's toxic, you need mm. incredible resilience in that time. Mm. Right. It is really hard. And I've done worked with companies going through turnarounds in Africa, major retailers here, mining companies, construction. It is hard going, right? Mm. On the soul, on the body, on the mind. It's tough. You have to be resilient. Mm. And so um, the, those like things like the mission, people, culture, tools, execution, and your mindset are critical. But we also have this thing called a resilience playbook. Mm. And so we, we talk about identifying the things on a daily basis that set you off emotionally down a negative path. Yeah, right. Yeah, nice. Right? Yeah. And, and we would say, okay, what would be the top three, four things? And so as an example, like last year, I was in the, I was in Melbourne last year during the lockdown, and I did this as an example, which would throw a bunch of people in lockdown and said, okay, let's do a resilience playbook for lockdown. What's, what is this triggering you to go bad? So one was someone was like, oh, you know, watching the um, – watching the, uh, the the TV updates every day with the Premier telling us we're, lo- we're going to stay in lockdown. That was a real trigger for a lot of people. Two, just reading the news in general. Three, social media. Four, um, just one would be just feeling cabin fever because you've been inside your house too long. Yeah. When you have a meeting with your boss, you go negative. Or it might be a, um, too much. another email pops in your inbox asking for something more from you today, another deadline you got to hit. Identify that thing and then work out, well, what is the root cause? Like, What's actually going on here that's causing you to be so so negative about it, right? Mm. Is it, I don't have control. I'm not, in, I'm not working well with my boss. I've got a bad relationship. Okay, then what is going to be your 
first of all, a mantra, something that will get you back in a positive mindset and then a key action mm. to get you in a better place. So mm. one of mine was um, the, the felt emotion was um, just feeling um, quite depressed and, and, and that really what it was was cabin fever, mm. right? Because we were stuck out so long and I'm such a social guy. And I was like, this is terrible. It's killing me. And so I was like, okay, my mantra, my mantra is um, just uh, I want to. Actually, we, we played that song. I want to break free a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, right, I want to break free, and I just say to my wife, I've got to go for a walk. Yeah. And I just went for a, for a long walk around the blocks nearby, just to get some fresh air and play some music and get away. Yeah. And that was my little way of dealing with that. And so what what we noticed was when we became aware that those were the things that were costing us, we were able to deal with it more under pressure. Yeah. Yeah, so, we we, yeah. we talked to Marcus Smith yesterday from Inner Fight in Dubai. Um, mm-hmm. I think his his podcast would have been out by the time this comes out, and he told us w- with resilience just to control the environment, so to remove yeah. everything mm-hmm. from the environment that triggers you. So very similar to what you said as well. Sure. And I think more mm-hmm. people are starting to understand that now, and especially around social media or media in general, because mm-hmm. um, you know we've got a we've got a saying, don't we? Don't we, Trent? What uh, enrages you engages you, and so that's actually what media outlets try and do is they try and enrage you to engage you. And so what we try and do is remove everything mm. from our clients that will enrage them. Yeah, it's a. It's I think that's a, that's a really good angle, mate. I think it's the same kind of thing, right? If it give, if it's bringing out that negative rage or whatever it is, negative emotion, yeah. then we've got it. If you identify, start with that. But I think the secondary element is sometimes in business. Um, if you get enraged by something, it's very it can be really valuable to work out why because yeah. a lot of time the things we get most annoyed at are the things we're most passionate about. Mm. Or we're watching someone um, do something that contradicts one of our own personal values. And, all, and that, even when you get fired up at work, it's when someone does something, you go, that's that's not right. Yeah, We, we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, right. And that's because you've seen when your own values get contradicted. Yeah. So what, what's great is when you do like the, align what you said or, or, or any sort of assessment like a, a playbook, resilience playbook, is you go, okay, now that's something I need to understand about me mm. because I can turn that into a massive positive if I yeah. get that right. Yeah. Mm. I, I, my probably you know, one of my last questions to you around the leadership perspective is with the CEOs that you work with, how many of them are lonely? Um, look, I think it's a really common it's very common, right? right? Because if you look, if you look at the hierarchy, they're they're the top of the pyramid, right? And then the, the pyramid then flips on itself, but that's the board, that's shareholders, it's a it's a um, it's a market. So m- most of them would say it is one of the loneliest roles ever. You have no peers at that level. Yeah. All your peers are other CEOs, right? And that's a, and so I, I run a session which is called the Council of Chiefs, where they get to come together and talk very openly in in fully confidential environment about some of their biggest challenges. Mm. So it's, it's interesting because everyone wants a piece of your time, right? But it can be quite lonely from a sense of like having a discussion like this. Maybe maybe a bit more personal. It's pretty difficult for a lot of them. Yeah. So yeah, it is lonely, mate. Especially it, where it, everything they say can be turned into. A, an announcement and, and exactly. affect a yep. share price. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then the market's very sensitive and the media is very sensitive at the moment and mm. people are very sensitive. So it can be really, really tricky. Yeah. Um, what, what I've found is the smart ones have created their own little community of people they can talk to 
they've got good mentors, good trusted advisors. Uh, and when they create that, it becomes less lonely for them. But not, not all of them have worked that out yet. Maybe they're new in the role. Maybe they're just in a new environment. Um, so, yeah. Trent, Trent and I wanted to have you on because we thought there was some room to use someone with your expertise to talk to our listeners around being entrepreneurs at, at work. Oh, yeah. So actually being able to create meaningful change in the roles they're in rather than do what the three of us, four of us, five of us, I don't know, hundred of us, most of us entrepreneurs that get out and start running businesses, mm. you know, um, a lot of us would be probably better suited inside organisations but making change in the organisations. Would you have any advice for for the young leaders out there that are in organisations now and how they might be able to affect meaningful change internal by being an entrepreneur? Mate, I'm about to get fired up. This is okay. a, I'm so passionate about this topic because what I'm sick of is us putting entrepreneurs on a pedestal like mm. every single person that goes out on their own makes a gazillion. Mm. It's not how it works. Yeah, it's certainly our experience. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, is, it, is, it is really, really challenging out there and it is very lonely. Right? I'm, I'm not even in control of my own time and we and, exactly. Trent, and I, Trent and I own the business. Yeah. So let, let me just say this. I think that almost everyone underestimates how hard it is to start and run your own business, particularly in a consulting space. It, it, is, it is really challenging. But also they underestimate how much more they could be doing where they are. So I'll, I would say this. The way to think about your career is that you are a professional services firm of one and your boss is your number one customer, Right. Be an entrepreneur for your boss and treat your your boss like a customer and blow their minds away about how good you are at solving the problems of the business, right? If you do that, you will get opportunities. You will get promoted. You will get a pay rise. You will get all these other things that make that you would only dream about if you were external, yeah. okay? I, I, I'm actually really tired of people saying the only way to, to be happy in life is to go and work for yourself. That, that is an absolute lot of crap. You're as happy as you want to be. Yeah. Right? And if you, if you turn up every day and you say, oh, I love my job, I'm going to do a great job, and you seek mastery and you do your very best, you're going to have a wonderful job and you'll earn the right to do other things and have better opportunities. And I can tell you now, it's, you lose a lot of control when you go external. Yeah, it's true. Okay. And so I would say to most people, most people are just not suited to running their own organisation. It is hard work. It is, and you're to, you have to have the ability to self-motivate. And there's there's more to be done. There's more to be done internal in the job with, that they're probably good at. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I would I would suspect that, um, and and also like there's a if you when you, when you get in the world of entrepreneurialism, they sell all sorts of weird and wonderful and amazing concepts and ideas like scaling your business and all this, and most of it's crap. Yeah. Right, yeah, most of it really doesn't isn't suitable for for a lot of organisations or certain roles. The best thing you can do is serve the customers right in front of you and, and blow their socks off and add value. And I, I think a lot of people forget that they wait for the organisation to invest in their careers. That's the wrong move. That's pretty good Career. advice for Trent and I actually as well. If I'm if I'm being honest, isn't it, Trent? Yeah. So I'm 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 actually interested in uh, one of your comments. Um, where you're talking about scaling businesses and those sorts of things, but what happens when what happens when a business is is not appreciating those talents that you've got and leads you um, 
leads you down to a path where you're you're not actually feeling valued and you're working you, you are the entrepreneur and you and right. you're yeah. flogging yourself senseless yeah and sure. um, you know yeah yeah that that willing yeah. horse so yeah, so what's yeah. what's your advice to those people okay yeah so this is, is a really important point Trent because this is where you, this is career crossroads moment right so you're sitting there and you're going I'm not being appreciated I'm not being told that I'm doing a great job I'm not getting the opportunities mm. so right now the first thing you do is this line, career ownership precedes career victory. Ask yourself this question. Who is in charge of your career? And I'll, I'll tell you how to answer it. So first of all, is it your boss? Is it HR? Is it you or is it no one? And let me tell you how to answer that question. Who is it that is buying your next development course? Right? If your boss is paying for it, then he's in charge or she's in charge. If it's HR, then they're in charge. If you're, if you're paying for it, you're in charge. If there isn't anything on the agenda, no one is in ownership of your career, right? So that's number one. Work out who owns your career. Second just move after- nugget. <laughs> Yo, I'm about just to- took away the nugget. I'm yeah. about to leave the Army Reserve, mate, just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one in charge of my career in there. Yeah, well, it doesn't mean you don't stay there. What it means is you control your development. You make decisions about the direction of your career. So if you, you must, if you don't have any idea of what would be an ideal role for yourself, then that would be a great place to start. Yeah. Because we need to work out what the ideal role should be, this combination of what you're really good at, what you sort of love doing, right, and a customer that's willing to pay for it. Mm. Right? So you might be a brilliant project manager of IT and there's companies out there begging for that right now. Yeah. Okay? That might be your ideal job. You know, so I want to be solutions architect or I want to be something, more, you know, HR or something. Then you got to ask yourself, okay, how do I get that job? How do I reverse engineer the development and the experience and the network that will help me get there, the track yeah. record that will get me there? Yeah. Take ownership of that, mm. right? Stack yourself up against your competition. Look on LinkedIn and go, who's in that role now? What's their experience look like? What do yeah. they look like? Call them up. Yeah. How did you get that job? Yeah. Right? It's much easier than going external and trying to build an HR consultancy or an IT consultancy. Yeah. No, Just that's do true. the research on how to get there, right? That's people, mastery. People are... People are well. People's success, I think, is is directly attributable to the depth and quality of their peer relationships. Um, and most people aren't. Um, how would I put it? They're almost not promiscuous enough to meet people. They don't go out meeting enough people. They don't go into bars and bump into people and go, "Hey, I've seen you. I know you work for the competitor, but let's let's yeah. have a let's have a coffee sometime." Yeah. Like I contacted. Yeah. And she hasn't contacted me back, I might say. So if you're listening, get, get on the phone. I, I contacted the head of uh, AWS here in, in Australia, yeah. you know, so which is Amazon. You know, mm, and, Amazon and I'm like, hey, yeah. let's, let's catch up. Let's talk. I mean, obviously, I'm selling something. I mean, that's obvious. Yeah. We both know that. But actually, it's also a relationship. It's a friendship. Yeah. A lot, yeah. you know, there's, so I think in a lot of cases, and I don't know about you, but I, when people reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and you can tell they're selling something, it's like, oh, piss off. You know, yeah, but yeah. but at the same time, when I'm doing that, I want people to say, "Oh yeah, okay, let's have a chat." Yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's got to be, there's definitely yeah. a formula for that, and mm. it probably comes from an authentic place of yeah. being a bit being a bit more promiscuous when it comes to relationships. You know, mm. building better friendships and deeper deeper friendships and friendships Network. with competitors. Like we've yeah. the amount of time that we've we were looking over our shoulders and then went, you know what? Actually, the 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 trough is big enough for us all to eat from. Let's learn from each other. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think so. And I've spent a lot of time working with other coaches over the years. The, the, 
there is enough work out there that none of us will ever be able to do it all. Yeah, um, that's right. You know, so I don't think that that's good advice. Are, and, are people getting? Are people still getting good quality coaching, Greg? Uh, in in Australia, are businesses paying for it, or are the individuals paying for it, or have we, or is it just a, a fact now that HR in businesses are trying to do internal coaching, which is as we all know, as the four of us know, is ridiculous. Um, yeah, look, I, I think um, there is a trend that I've seen, and most companies go, "Oh, we're going to bring it all in house," and we'll get them. I go, "Oh, it's not working." And you know what? It doesn't mean they don't have good coaches in their team, but the challenge is that when you're an internally resourced coach, you lose the impartiality of an external coach, mm. right? Yeah, because now you're in the hierarchy. And often if you look at the hierarchy, what goes wrong is you get someone who's more junior in the organization as a coach, coaching a senior person. It doesn't work. Yeah. They also might not have the credibility and the experience. And the, then the leader doesn't get to choose their coach so much. Whereas in, in my world, I would advocate that everyone who comes and works with me as a coach, make sure you've spoken to a couple other people first. Yeah. You know, go and find out who's your flavor. Go and find the person that's going to solve your problem for you as opposed to being forced to go to, to someone. Yeah. And so I've found a lot of people in those internal roles um, have just always wanted to be a coach, but not necessarily have walked the path or haven't been there a bit, haven't, tr- haven't worked more broadly. Yeah. Like when you've worked across a whole range of organizations for a lot of years in different environments, that's when you really learn the art of coaching mm. and, and you realize it's a, it is a real art form. It takes years to master, right? Mm. We're, we're, we've all got a long journey in front of us before we're masters at this. Mm. Um, and, you know, so I, I just think, so back to your question, are people getting good coaching? They're getting mixed, mate. Mm. And that, that's, that'll always be the case, no matter what yeah. profession, yeah, okay. you're always going to get a mix of quality. Um, but I, I sort of feel like if you're doing a good job, and, and you know your value and you're, and you're going the extra mile for your clients every single time, then you'll be rewarded for that. Mm. But if you're not getting calls back, then something's missing. It's worthwhile asking them what was missing mm. um, if you can. And mm. I've had some great feedback from clients over the years, particularly in my early days where I missed the mark on something. Mm. Um, and, you know, and they gave me that feedback and that, and that was just really, really important for me to learn that in the early days because I, I could have just continued on without knowing it. Yeah. Right. How did that? How did you take that when you had negative um, feedback? Oh, I think at the time I was really disappointed in myself and emotional that I got it wrong. Mm. You know, and I, that's the honest truth. But what it did was that that was only because I wanted to be bloody good at this job, right? I, mm. It wasn't because you know I wasn't going to do a lot more work with them. It was just because I wanted to be better at it. Yeah, um, that's that's a good that, that's that, a good po- that's a good point. And I think that humility, you know, that that saying. You know, you can't get fat eating humble pie, and I think if, yeah. you, if you eat yeah. the humble pie and then you and then you roll into the next into the next gig and then and yeah. say, "Hey, I've learnt these mm-hmm. lessons." Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think one of the one of the most important things I learned as a coach is you've got to have your head in the game. So I, I sort of it's almost like climbing without ropes. If you're not hundred percent bought into an outcome, so if you're taking away an exec team over two days and you've got a you've got some agreed outcomes, right? That is absolutely on you to get to those outcomes yeah. no matter what. Yeah. Right? And so I, I always put them up, but there's four or five outcomes, and there is no way I'm going to bed on the middle night or finishing on the second day until I've got them there. Or if I'm doing one-to-one coaching and we have coaching outcomes, I will guarantee that I'll get the results outside of getting a promotion, right, which is not – there's too many uncontrollables there. 
I will get some of what they want if we work hard at it. And, I, and I'll say to any aspiring coaches, if you are going to work with someone and they give you an outcome that they want to help you get to, damn well sign up to it or don't do the coaching gig. Yeah, right. Right, Because it will put your head in the game. You'll do everything you can to solve that problem for them. You'll get better. You'll learn. You'll build better frameworks. You'll coach smarter. And what that means is you get better and better at being a coach. And it's more interesting. It's fun. You're energized, right? You, you, you know, you're on the line. Your, your future, you're coaching, your reputation's on the line. So I sort of feel like a lot of coaches aren't as necessarily bought into the results of their class, their clients like they should be. And yeah. when you do, it's 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 life-changing because you're like, right, I'm in this. Let's have a crack. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's, there's certainly something to be said about, um, you know, when, when a – uh, a client is able to master a particular skill, a leadership skill or something yeah. like that, that they've struggled with for a long period yeah. of time. Um, I've got one particular, one particular client comes to memory um, uh, who lives in Malaysia and, and uh, she was struggling with the art of delegation yeah. and, and to, to work through the steps around the art oh, of delegation sure. is, is one of those technical skills that we were talking about earlier. Right. And, mm. uh, and and that moment that she got it um, was mm. uh, was exceptional, right? Um, mm. it, it does give you that um, feeling that you you've um, managed to to just to just get it. Yeah, you, you've made you've made a real difference for them, and then they look at you and go, "Well, that was a valuable exchange of of services, right?" Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and that's that's your you know in the end, that's what your clients buy. They're not buying you for for a chat over a coffee. Mm. And I think in the, in the early days when I when I was coaching, there was a bit of that. A lot of clients, oh, let's just go for a coffee and we'll talk it through. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like we're getting results here. Yeah. Like, what, what's the result? And so when you when someone's working with a coach, what I'd say to them is be really clear at the beginning. What is the outcome mm. of the coaching engagement? What is going to be your absolute return? Like, where, how's it going to be different now? Yep. Compared to the future, different in the future compared to now. If you can't describe that and say, this, I want to be able to do this, I want to be able to do this, I want to be able to feel this when I walk in the office every day, then you're, you're not giving your coach a target to have a crack at. What's your next leadership development course and who's paying for that? <laughs> Me personally? <laughs> yeah, what's your, next, what's your next course? What's on the, on the horizon yeah. for you? To, oh, but... thanks, mate. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, uh, I, um, I am a ma- member of a mastermind in America, so I, I get there's a whole bunch of... Um, coaches and actually not necessarily coaches, large business owners that I go to over in the States. Yep. And so um, I haven't been able to go for a year and a bit, but I'm still very much connected to the guys over there. So I'm going um, hopefully in October, but to be honest, it's probably going to yeah. be a bridge too far. Right. Um, but that one is on, um, uh, it's all about the power of language. Um, so the last year was around, um, uh, the last one I went two years ago was around marketing Um and, and copy and all that kind of stuff. And this time is around language. Um, and so it's, it's about about 40 of us that come together for about three days and talk about all this stuff. So um, that's the next one I'm going on. So I'm actually fairly due for a uh, for a new coach as well myself. So Right. Okay. So you, you, you uh, routinely bring on board coaches to, you know, give you alternative yep. ideas and perspectives? For me personally, yes. For my business, yeah. Yeah, right. So yep. a business coach yes, or? Absolutely. I've engaged, I, re, I recently, yeah, business coach. I've recently engaged, engaged a guy to help me do a review of where we're at. And that's sort of halfway through him giving me some feedback on next steps um, yep. based on what we're planning and what we think the next move is. Um, and we're forming a bit of an advisory board around one particular product 
and then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, right. Okay, well, um, thanks very much, Greg. I really appreciate uh, the time that you've taken mm. to speak to the Warrior U audience, and mm. uh, I look forward to catching up with you sometime in the future. Before we head off, where can we find out more about um, Greg Layton and uh, all the socials and podcasts sure. and all those sorts yeah. of things? Tell us about it. Mate, just chiefmaker.com is the website. Uh, the podcast is where I interview CEOs of um, mid to large organisations. That's the Inner Chief podcast. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look up linkedin.com forward slash Greg Layton. And I think it's on Instagram or at the chief maker. Nice. All mm. right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate thank you, Trent. the time. And mm. uh, Thanks, Greg. Um, we'll, we'll talk again soon, hopefully. I look forward to it. Righto. Thanks for listening, gang. If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website, www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page, and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just the physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.